Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal Worship Service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord is many things in the Bible. It paralyzes the enemies of God in the Old Testament. It prevents judges from being corrupted. It is pure in Psalm 19. And it is the definition of wisdom in Job 28. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. It prolongs days as a fountain of life. It is the instruction of wisdom in the Proverbs. And here in this verse, it is the pathway to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord is a precious thing. It is a wonderful gift that God gives to those whom he loves. What the fear of the Lord is, is an attentiveness of the heart about who God is and what we are before him. The holy fear, this holy fear, gives a man a drive to pay attention to what God says to him. It motivates him to obey God's commands and submit to his will. In doing all of this, it gives him ballast, and it keeps his whole being anchored to reality. Think of a man like a ship lost at sea. God's word is a lighthouse beckoning the right way. And the fear of God is like the crew's knowledge that there is a lighthouse out there. It causes them to strain their eyes to look and see what God has for them. And our proverb tells us that the man with the fear of the Lord will be satisfied and will not suffer evil. This is because he will have all the blessings of that fear. The wisdom and knowledge that come from believing and trusting in God's word. The perception that comes from looking for God's will in your circumstances. And the wonderful experience of seeing sin for what it is, thus avoiding it and its consequences. Because God is real... The fear of God is a wonderful thing. Because the sailors look for the light, they bring the ship safe into harbor. God has revealed himself, and we are foolish to turn a blind eye or a blind heart to that revelation. We are foolish to forego God's blessing, his satisfaction, and his deliverance from evil. Fortunately, God forgives our sin, but that is not an excuse for it. We must confess it. You're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins. Last week, Solomon advised us to fear God in worship. In our text this week, he advises us to be wise with money, or rather, not to marvel at God's work or will in the realm of money on this earth. In today's text, we will be reading a combination of advice observations and warnings about men and their dealings with money. The heart of the issue is greed. Today Solomon's advice for us has to do with mammon, stuff. And the central point is don't marvel at greed. Don't marvel at lust 
Don't marvel at inordinate desire or jealousy or greed because those are what caused the fall in the first place. Satan lusted after God's glory and tempted Eve. Adam and Eve desired knowledge and disobeyed God to get it. Cain was jealous of Abel's accepted sacrifice, which brought about the first murder. And Paul tells us that the love of money is the root, or a root, of all kinds of evil. In Solomon's advice here, we shall consider money and mammon. How do they affect men? How should we view them and how should we use them? And what is wisdom in the realm of finances in the world under the sun in which God reigns supreme? So let's start with verse 8. If you see oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter. For high official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. In God's world, when we see oppression and injustice, we are commanded not to be astonished. Why is that? It's because justice and righteousness are perverted in a fallen world. Red tape and bureaucracy are an affliction that we must live with because of sin. In other words, greed is a reality in our world, and because greed is a reality, the result is injustice and oppression of the poor. The wise man opens his eyes and he observes this. However, he's not surprised by it. Wise men are not naive. They're not simpletons. They know that this is part of the curse and part of the reason that man's work is burdensome. Even in a world in which a wise man knows that God is sovereign. He's not surprised at the reality of greed. In verse 8, when we read, do not marvel at the matter, in the Hebrew it actually reads, do not marvel at the pleasure or the will. And it's meaning the pleasure or the will of God. So don't marvel at evil in the world, in the realm of finances. Men are corrupt Therefore, corruption exists, even in the administration of government, which is supposed to be a bastion of justice and righteousness, because governments are run by men. High official watches over high official, and higher officials are over them. So don't marvel at that. God is in control. God is, God is sovereign, and part of the world that God has made is, is that sin is here. On another level, we need not marvel because there is a sovereign God who is over them all. Which means that each one of these officials, no matter how high on the totem pole they are, are never above God. They will answer at some point to him for their works. And this is attested to in verse 9. Moreover, the prophet of the land is for all. Even the king is served from the field. Here we see that God created the world this way. Every dainty that the king puts in his mouth was grown in the field right alongside of the normal food that the laborer or the poor man eats. One grain of wheat becomes a Danish pastry, and another becomes burnt toast. Because of this, kings should be humble in their administration, establishing justice and righteousness. They answer to God, and justice and righteousness in their land would be a blessing or a crown of glory to them. It will bless them. 
On the other hand, despots and tyrants who live on the blood of their subjects consume their capital. In their injustice and unrighteousness, they eliminate potential for increase, or they even incite war and rebellion. However, wise men see that men are men and men sin. Therefore, they're not shocked by all of the greed. Next, Solomon explains this phenomenon. He gives us wisdom about money. The reason that the world is this way, the reason that greed and corruption are such a problem is because of what we read in verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. The short proverb here explains that money and abundance are not good ends in themselves. If you love silver, if you love abundance, it will not satisfy. There's a country song that says, too much money, there's no such thing. If you love money, you'll never get satisfaction. There's always more to be pursued. You can always put another zero at the end of the check or at the end of your bank statement. There's always more to be pursued. And this can be evidenced in different cultures also. Certain cultures require more money to live in. And this is obvious to anybody who comes from a backwater village or a country town to a big city or a wealthy suburb. The pace of life quickens and people race here and there in order to, get, to keep up with the Joneses. And now this isn't saying that money is bad, money is indifferent, but it, it does say that money doesn't satisfy. So if you're going to live where money is important, don't let it be all important. It must be a means to an end and not an end in itself. Don't join the rat race simply for the service of the idle money. Because if that's what you're doing, if you're going out to make money, to serve money, you will find it very empty. And verse 11 tells us this. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? Wealth has wings. Every investment must be sustained. Put your money to work for you. Invest it in stocks, bonds, and businesses. Plant vineyards and orchards. Grow your flocks. Send your merchant vessels afar. Cast your bread upon the waters. Invest broadly and wisely. And if God blesses it, it will increase and you will grow in wealth. But if God blesses you that way, if God gives you that kind of success, when that happens, it will be used by more people. With the growth of money, all of a sudden you need accountants or lawyers or stockbrokers. Uncle Sam wants a cut of the action. Moreover, you find yourself responsible to provide a living for employees. So now instead of only worrying about your own mouth and feeding yourself, you're saddled with being concerned about all those who now you have responsibility for, all the people that you hire. On top of that, once you have more than you can eat, more clothes than you need, more technology than you need, and more shelter than you need, what good does it do for you except to look at it? You may be able to travel the globe, visit your, your factories and pay for expensive meals or upgrade your car or your boat, your wardrobe, your house. But even if you can do all that ad infinitum, in the end, 
there you are with all this stuff, and all it does, the only good it does for you is, is you can enjoy the small amount that you can actually enjoy, and you can look out at it. That's all you get. That's you, all you get from most of it is you you get to look at it, out at it. But there's a more sinister side to it than that. In verse 12, we read, "The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the attempt, the abundance of the rich, will not permit him to sleep." So, first of all, the most good you can get out of it is just to enjoy it by looking at it. But but that wealth brings anxiety. Rich men suffer from rich men's problems. And this is particularly true for wealthy, the wealthy man who loves silver in abundance. If that wealth is your God, if that silver is your God, first, you can never get enough of it, but then, second, once you have it, you can't rest. Because you might lose it. Wealth has wings. You must, you must worry that something might happen to all the stuff that now you've accumulated. The hard worker, on the other hand, gets to sleep. He leaves all the worrying to the boss. His master can worry about futures prices or exchange rates or whether interest rates or the Dow are going up or going down. The laborer, he's worked hard, he's tired, doesn't even, he doesn't even have to eat, he doesn't, belly doesn't even have to be full. You know, as long as he's worked and he's worked hard, he, he goes to sleep. He gets to shut his eyes and rest. He doesn't need to worry about it. So wealth, as an end, is very, very empty. Next, Solomon observes fools and their money. In verse 13, we read, we see a fool hoarding his money and suffering consequences. There's a severe evil I have seen under the sun. Riches kept for their owner to its hurt. This fool hoards his wealth to his own suffering, his own hurt. Wealth can be very damaging to a person, to a soul. Wealth can destroy community. If the man loves silver and increase, he will suspect everyone around him of the same. Will turn him into a miser. This could be referring to the miser's attempts to protect his investments. His money drives a wedge between him and the rest of society. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have somebody there to pick him up when he gets knocked down because he's afraid that somebody there might be just after his money. Perhaps the money and his attitude make him a target for robbery or the victim of envious men or scam artists. More than one wealthy man has been taken of advantage of for the sake of his goods. Perhaps the money hurts him by building up his pride, giving him enough rope to hang himself with, helping him fall into temptation. It gives him the ability to do things that he would not have otherwise been able to do so that he forgets to turn to God, to look to God for salvation, and he turns to his money. Rich food gives rich men gout. Money can hurt you. Whatever the cause of the hurt, Solomon's point is that money cannot buy insurance against everything. We, in America, we love to buy insurance. We have car insurance, and house insurance, and we have health insurance. And we want to insure against everything. You can just, you just shell out the money, shell out the money. But in the end, 
Rust and, moth, rust and moths destroy. People die. Cars crash. It, it, insurance is there for reasons. It, it's helpful, but insurance only it has a limit, and it only goes so far. And you can't buy insurance for everything. You hoard your money, it can, it can damage you. If you put your faith in your money, it will hurt you. Verses 14 and 15. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return, to go as he came. And he shall take nothing from his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. God is sovereign, and God will not be mocked. Fools put their hope in their money, and God just sits in the heavens and laughs. We all come naked, and we all leave naked. You can't take it with you. And this fool has sought to do so, so God destroys the idols of men. And this severe evil befalls men because of the judgments of God. Which leads us to Solomon's last exhortation in today's text. Do not marvel at the despair of greed. Verses 16 and 17. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness. And he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. All his days he eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. The greedy man desires and he amasses. He accumulates and he hoards. But in the end he dies and he takes nothing with him. Money is a false god. All in all he labors for the wind. It slips through his fingers. His life is characterized by sorrow, sickness, and anger. What a miserable estate. This is true despair. And greedy men despair because you can't take it with you. There's always somebody else looking over your shoulder trying to take it from you. Solomon's advice about money is don't serve it. It won't satisfy you. Jesus repeats Solomon's instructions to us about money in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 19-21, and 24-25. and 25. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, don't serve money, because moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And he goes on, Jesus goes on to list all the things that we shouldn't worry about because God is sovereign. And that's the whole point of Solomon's argument, is that he's been saying all along, God is sovereign, God is sovereign over time, and then he answers the objections to God's sovereignty. And then here, last week he gave us advice about how do we 
worship God. We, we, we fear God and worship. We, we have a true and faithful awe of Him because He is God, and we, we owe Him our service, our worship. And then in the realm of money, and this is a big one because this is where men tend to put their faith if they're not going to put their faith in God. It's in their stuff. It's in the things that seem to be something. The things that seem to be real. Like the, like the, the, the Israelites put their faith in the temple. Because it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a stone building. It had, it had mass. Like we read about this morning. And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will build it up again in three days. Because Jesus knows that God is who is real. God is who is sovereign. God is who is important. And it's far more impressive that he can come back from the dead. They couldn't, they, you could give the Jews 46 million years and they couldn't bring Jesus back from the dead. The, the temple was created by men who had life. Instead of worrying about our stuff, because God is sovereign, instead of that we're commanded to focus on the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. And here we come to the conclusion, which first I found it a little bit ironic that the topic for our text this morning is money and stuff, and, and Molly and I just closed on our house this week. <laughs> but I think God has a sense of humor. But anyway, um, let's, let's remember the context of our text. Solomon is just winding up his second argument in the book, in which he proclaims God's sovereignty over everything. He dealt with the objections to God's sovereignty, and then he gave us some advice. First, fear God and worship. We talked about this last week. If God is sovereign, pay Him due respect. Second, and the very next thing is, don't let stuff get in the way of your worship of God. That's what we're talking about today. Stuff is a poor substitute for God. Because He is the giver of gifts. He gives us the stuff. He enables us to enjoy the wealth. And this is where the argument concludes. And we'll be getting into that next week. Today we saw that Solomon tells us, don't marvel at greed. Don't marvel at oppression and injustice because of greed. Don't marvel at fools spinning their wheels because that's God's judgment on them. Paul tells us why we shouldn't, Paul tells us why we shouldn't marvel. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Paul gives Timothy an extended explanation in 1 Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed and the good confession in the presence of many witnesses." God is in control. Godliness with contentment is great gain. God is in control. God judges men. 
He makes wealth a curse when it is pursued unfaithfully. And he makes wealth a blessing when it is received faithfully. Notice that wealth is a gift to be received. It is not a God to be pursued. The true God has good gifts for his children. Receive them in faith. Jesus gave up everything. He died for God, and God gave to him the world. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And God does it that men should fear before him. Which has been the whole point of this entire section of Ecclesiastes, is that God is sovereign, and we are not. And therefore, when God gives us stuff, our duty is to use the stuff for his glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, let's pray. Jesus tells us not to worry, because God provides for his faithful ones. The story of Abraham when he offered to sacrifice Isaac was a type. God provided a ram for the sacrifice, which is why Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. The antitype is that God did provide a lamb to die for us. We could do nothing but walk in faith, trusting him, but he never fails us. The world looks at the outside, but God sees our hearts. The world wants silver and gold, but God wants contrite hearts. The world hates God because the world thinks that he is like the world, and, and that and he is like the world would be if it were sovereign. The world thinks that God is a miser, but he's not. We know that God is not a miser. He's a generous father. He has given the whole world to his son and through him to us. In the past, Christians have sold all their worldly goods in order to serve God better. Other Christians have been forced to take great roles in running the world when they would rather have lived in the desert. John the Baptist was an ascetic, and the Pharisees called Jesus a glutton. God doesn't give us a command that he wants all of us to sell all of our goods and go live in a monastery in the desert. He also doesn't give us a command that we should all seek to, to have vast reserves of wealth. What God commands us is that he wants us to be willing to do whatever he calls us to do. And that is the definition of a contrite heart before a sovereign God. And because we know that God is good and not a miser, and we know that he relates to us as a father and not an accuser, we know that he knows how to give good gifts to his children, which is why we come to this table every week to feast and to be fed. This table is for all who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body and the church. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. 
Again, thank you and blessings.